privileged. And so before we actually get into today's message in First Peter, um, being that this kind of marks our two-year uh, anniversary of, of services here as Church at Five, I want to refresh some of us on who we are as a service, why we do what we do, what is our mission as a service. And uh, for others of you, it will be something new, something you haven't heard before. And so you'll get to hear a little bit more about how or why we do what we do and kind of where we stand on our mission. I believe it's good to know that there is a mission. There's a reason why we're doing what we're doing. It isn't just, hey, let's just see what happens. We're not just winging it here. There was a purpose and a goal and a vision behind what we're doing in Church at Five. And I believe it's good to know these things. And I believe it's good to see and to remember that God is at work behind this. It's, it's God that laid it on our hearts to start this. It's God that's kind of, uh, I believe, planted this service in a way in our hearts. And he's the one that's helped it to grow in the last two years and helped it to become something where I have heard so many stories, so many people who have come up to me, so many emails where people have said, man, God really spoke to me through a message or through the worship or through a connection that they made with somebody. There are relationships that have formed here that are lasting. Even when the people maybe are just here for a short time and move on, there's connections and stuff that have, made, that have been formed here that it's, it's encouraging to see. Man, God did that. God has had, a, had an idea so long ago, but he had a purpose in it. So we're going to be talking a little bit about that. Uh, this was, was laid first on my heart to do an English service about, well, I guess back in 2014. It was kind of just the concept long even before that, but really doing an English service uh, originally sometime on the weekend. We didn't know when we would do it. Uh, so about two years before we started our first service. And it took some time to get things rolling. Uh, as it usually does when we have a vision or we have a, a promise or an idea that we, God places in our heart. It sometimes takes a little while before things begin to manifest. And so that was definitely the case. It was about two years before we actually got things rolling and about a year before that we actually really started to get things into motion. Uh, but I'm encouraged today to see us here living out this idea, this vision that God put on our hearts over four years ago. I know that's not long in the realm of some bigger things, and, and this church, for instance, has been here for much longer than that. But uh, I'm still encouraged. I think it's long enough to say that I can be encouraged by that. And as a side note, I'll just share with you that uh, when I think about it, I'm, I'm encouraged that, that to see that God is faithful to His Word. God is faithful to what he promised, what he wanted to do, what he wanted to build. I can tell you I didn't know what would happen when we started the first service. I didn't know if anybody would come. I didn't know if it would last six months. I believed it would, but I didn't know. And so it's cool to see that the thing that God had put on my heart, he is faithful to. And so here today we're, we're able to kind of live out what God has promised and you being here today is a part of that faithfulness of God. So it was about 10 months or so before we started our first service that God really laid the mission. So we knew when I, it was going to be in English, but I wanted to be more specific. And after some prayer and a lot of thought and more prayer and then more thought, um, 
God really put this mission statement on my heart. It's a bit of a long one, but I want to read it to you guys because it's really, to me, it's really encouraging to see how God put this on my heart so long ago, and I can read it today and, and see, wow, we actually, we're living most of those things, and it's still true. It's still our mission. It's, sometimes our missions change as we walk in, or sometimes we misinterpret what God's saying about a certain situation. So to me, I'm really encouraged to see, man, God has put something on, our, on my heart and on me and a few other hearts, not just mine alone. And, uh, and here we stand still faithful. As he is faithful to us, we can be faithful to the mission that he put on our hearts. So here it is. The English service mission statement is what I titled it at the time. Didn't know what it was going to be called. That came later. There's a lot of debate on who thought of it. I think it was me, but it doesn't matter. Don't ask Sam about it. He has a different opinion. So, English Service Mission Statement. To strengthen and grow the community of Calvary Chapel Freiburg through reaching out to the internationals of Freiburg and to welcome all who would come. To love, encourage, and build them up through the teaching of God's word and to create a comfortable, welcoming, and safe atmosphere in order to cultivate a community built on glorifying the name of Christ Jesus as Lord, seeing the lost come to a knowledge of the truth of the gospel and to equip believers in their following of Christ and discovering the call to ministry beset on all believers. So that's our mission statement. It's a lot, I know. I'm going to eventually post this online. I was recently asked, and it hasn't been posted yet, but it will be, so you can read it yourself. Um, but that's our mission statement. A couple things I want to define in there, like, for instance, why we put at the beginning to strengthen and grow the community of Calvary Chapel. And that's because we want at the forefront of our minds that we are Calvary Chapel, that we're a part of this kind of greater unity. And it's, it's something that we see, I think, a lot of in, in biblical examples. There's always this kind of, there was the small churches but there was always this kind of the community of the body of believers and we want to remember that we are calvary chapel and we are committed to maintaining the unity of calvary chapel amongst all of the ministries of our of this church so that's why that's right at the beginning in the forefront and another one is reaching out to the internationals of freiburg and to welcome all who would come we have a goal we have a call we have a vision as church at five we don't want to be the same as everything else. We don't want to be the same as all the other services. We want to have a specific call in what we do. And that is to see students, families, people from any background, anyone that would be drawn to an English service would be welcomed here. We know that English is not for everyone. We're not going to win every person in Freiburg through an English service. That's not our goal. It's not our mission. But there are way too many people here that are English-speaking, a lot of them that don't need to learn German or uh, because they're here for a short time or they're studying or whatever it might be. And we want a place for them. Now, there are, all, like I said, it's not for everybody, and there are a lot of great German services in this church and a lot of the churches here in this city have great German services. Nothing wrong with that. But for me personally, and I believe I'm not alone, I think that language can play a huge role in how we connect to God. Now, it doesn't mean you can't pray in other languages and, and, and all of that, but I think if somebody prays primarily in English and reads the Bible primarily in English 
And maybe, again, if they're here for just a short time or whatever their case might be, then an English service may help them to develop and connect with God and grow in their relationship with Him best. And that's important to me. That's important to me that we as a church, as Calvary Chapel, have a way for, to reach people that maybe would have a hard time connecting. Even in a translated service, it's not quite the same as an English service. And so that's what, one of the reasons why this was really on my heart, that people making a way for people to connect to God best, especially those that are maybe here for a short time, that they would have their experience in Freiburg be one of growth and transformation and community that they maybe weren't even expecting to find. And we want to love, encourage, and build up every single person who comes to the doors. That's what our heart is. That's our mission. That's our core values, which I'll actually get to in just a moment in how we live that out. But our ultimate mission, the single central point of our mission, is glorifying the name of Christ Jesus as Lord. And for me, the best way to do that is to create a culture, create an atmosphere where we're seeing people come to a new knowledge of truth. Whether they never have, they don't believe in, they've never heard any of this before and it's all new and they're coming into something that they've never experienced before. Or for many of us, we've, maybe, maybe you have been a Christian or you are a Christian or you're on the fringes of Christianity, but you're not where you want to be because we never get where we want to be. We always want to be going further, always be wanting, we're always wanting to go deeper and we want to come into a new knowledge as often and as deep and as, and as much as we can. And so that's the kind of culture and kind of atmosphere we're trying to cultivate. And also in equipping, equipping one another for our personal ministry and our collective ministry as a, as a congregation for what God has called us to do. That, I think, is what church is meant to be in its simplest form, to equip us for the ministry we do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So, this mission statement is rooted in what I believe we see in the Bible. We see this in the early church in Acts 2, 42. It says, They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And this is where a lot of our mission statement comes from. We believe in the transformative, authoritative power of God's word and that it needs to be taught and preached. This is a cornerstone for how we conduct our services because God's truth is something that resonates in a way that nothing else in our world, nothing else, is, as he, as Giannis uh, prayed and said this morning, or in, uh, this morning, man, I'll get there. I had a very rough night last night. As he prayed, you know, we want to, we want to keep that as, at the forefront of our mind because we hear all these different things from the world telling us about who we are, about what we should be, but God's truth is different. And it has a power and authority to mold and change our very lives. So we believe in that. We also believe in fellowship with one another. That's supporting each other, encouraging each other, standing together, doing life together. We want to build a place, a community, where that is prevalent. It's a huge part of how we think through everything we do here in Church at Five. 
That's why our small groups are important. We're always trying to get more small groups growing as we go forward. Another thing is breaking of bread, and that is communion. Communion is important. We do it once a month. Maybe someday we'll do it more at the, at the moment. It's just practical for us to do it once a month. But this is an important part of uniting us to the body of Christ as the body of Christ and uniting us to Christ uh, personally and building the church community. They, the, uh, the apostles and Acts did it every time they met together. And so we want to make that a part of our community. We'll actually be doing that today, this at the end of our service. And we believe in prayer. And I believe all forms of prayer are vital for a healthy Christian walk with the Lord and for a healthy church community. We want to be praying. We, that's why we pray. They pray in, as they end worship. We pray for each other as often as we can. We offer prayer at the end of service. We believe in prayer. And I also would say that I believe worship is a type of prayer. When we sing, we are speaking out to the Lord. We're speaking of His greatness, maybe calling on Him to work in our lives. This is just prayer with music. And so I believe that prayer also falls into worship. And it's out of this mission statement and out of what we see in Acts 2 that we developed our core values that I will... That clock is broken, so I don't know why I'm looking at it. Sorry, guys. Don't know how long we're going to go. No clock. I wanna, I'll, I'll wrap this part of our service up with our core values. Our core values are very important, and some of you might know them, most of you probably not. So you'll get to know our core values for the first time. We have three of them, and everything we do, every plan we make, anytime we think about how to make a decision in our service, we always take these three core values into mind. And that the first one is safe place. We want this to be a safe place. And in that, I mean, we want to strive to create an atmosphere that it's easy to get connected into. That's why I'm always encouraging you guys to join the team, to hang out afterwards. That's why we try to have greeters down by the door. It's why we have, why after the service, I've been trying to encourage you guys to, hey, talk to somebody you don't know. Say hi to the person next to you. Don't just come and, and go out. For this to be a place where we feel safe, we have to take that step into getting to know each other and being a place that that happens quickly and easily. So we want to be a safe place. The second one is we want to be authentic. So we want to be friendly with each other. We want to get to know each other, but we don't want to be a place of fake smiles and fake greetings and flattery. We want to be real. And what I mean by real is every single one of us had a very different week this week. Some of us might have had a really good week, some bad, some very ugly. But whether good, bad, or ugly, when we come in the door, we know that, that's, that we all are experiencing those things. So we don't have to, okay, I've got to put on my fake face, got to put on my smile. No, if you had a rough week, you can bring that in with you. You can be authentic. We can be a place where we laugh and smile together, but also cry together and find our joy in the Lord together, that we stand together when we're, being, when we're creating a place that is safe, where we know each other and we seek to know each other. 
we can be authentic. We want to be a place where questions are welcome, where discussions are common. There's not only small talk. Oh, what'd you do this week? Oh, very interesting. I did nothing. I watched Netflix, whatever it might be. But we can, we can really get into discussions. We can talk about the Word of God. We can talk about how we're doing in our week. We can be authentic and be real with each other. And it's only when we are authentic with each other, it's only when we take that step to be real, so we come from this place where we're, we, we're safe, we're, we're actively seeking to be uh, connecting with one another for the sake of safety, so that we can be authentic, then it, it puts us in the best place for growth. It puts us in the best place to become better, to grow as individuals, especially from one another. And that's our last core value, edifying. So we have safe place, authentic, and edifying. Edifying literally means just to be lifted up, usually in a spiritual sense. It's to be lifted up, to be brought into a a new height. So from low to high, that sounds good for most of us. But this means growing, and growing almost always, not always, but most of the time, is a little bit uncomfortable. Because when we grow, we start to see the things that we need to change. We see the things in our hearts that maybe aren't quite right. And that's what we want here. I want you guys to feel safe and to be real, but I also want you to feel uncomfortable sometimes. Otherwise, we're not doing our job. Church isn't meant to just make you feel good about yourself all the time. It's meant to push you to grow. And if it's not pushing you to grow, it's not doing its job. I want you guys to grow. I want you guys to hear the truth. I want you guys to grow from one another. I want you to be authentic. I want you to be real. I want you to feel safe. These are our core values. And I believe it's only with these three, when we have a safe place where we can truly be authentic, this leads to the purpose of growth. Both personal growth, that's my hope for ever. I pray it every week, mostly. There might have been an exception. I don't want to, I want to be real with you guys. I want to be authentic. I might have missed a week, but I try to pray every week that every single one of you, when you come through the doors, that something happens in your heart, that you're challenged in a new way, that you grow in some small way or big way, but that you change, that there's transformation. And this is why these are important to me, that we are in a safe place, that we're real, authentic, and that we are edifying one another, lifting each other up to see true growth happen in our lives. So this is who we are. Welcome to Church of Five. Now you know. Sorry, now you know what you've, now you know what you've walked into. <laughs> Hopefully we'll see you next week. <laughs> this is who we are. And I hope that if you didn't know that stuff, you hadn't heard it before, that it helps you. And it maybe hopefully encourages you. And I'll challenge you again. If this is a place where you say, I, wanna be a, I, I do want to be a part of that, that sounds good to me, that you really take a step to be active in that and be a part of the community, be a part of the, the transformation, be a part of the safe place, the authenticity, the edifying, be a part of it. And so I would encourage you, whether you're here for just a few weeks or 10 years to get involved and if you have any more questions about who we are 
Again, anyone with a badge. Giannis is wearing a badge, so you can definitely go to him and ask any questions that you have about who we are and what we believe in. So, now we're going to do a sermon in like 10 minutes. So, hold on to your hats. All right. I want to get into the message. We're going to dive in quick. It's going to be a shorter message. I did kind of plan on that. Not quite as short as I'm going to have to try to squeeze it into, but I did plan it on being a shorter message. But this is something, there's like, I think there's a really singular message that God wants to say to us in this text today. There's a lot that we could dive into. Come and talk to me. We can discuss it. I think it's a really cool passage. And for you who have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in 1 Peter 1, verses 10 through 12. And uh, we'll start here by reading the verse, but I just want to encourage you guys to be ready for what God might want to say to you today. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ to them, in them, was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you, told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels look, long to look into these things. So we have to start with last week. Last week we saw in the, in the text kind of leading up to this, because he's kind of making a transition, building on what he had gone into. We looked at the hope we have in what's to come. The hope we have in our salvation today and the hope we have in our promised inheritance. And that he said, you greatly rejoice We can greatly rejoice because we know the hope we have, the inheritance we've received, the promise promise that's waiting for us is not only waiting for us, but is guarded by God. He's protecting it, that nothing can take it from us. And the message was for those who are suffering. He said, though you suffer now for a while. It's a message for those who are enduring trials, enduring hardships, facing rough times in their lives as we all have experienced maybe some of you today and the hope we have is in Christ Jesus even though we suffer even though we have hard times in our days here on earth we know that Jesus too suffered and greater than we can ever know the Jesus that is our great resurrected hope today that we cling to is this same Jesus of the cross who suffered and died. He's gone before us through suffering into glory so that we can follow him. Meaning, in this life, we will struggle, we will suffer, but we rejoice and have a great joy in what's to come in the Lord. And we can have that joy today through Christ, through the Holy Spirit, because of that promised inheritance that we will walk with Christ, not only in the suffering, but in the glories to come. And in verse 10, this is what he's connecting to when he says, concerning this salvation. So this is the salvation that Peter has just pointed out in the past 
nine verses that we are, we are God's elect. We're through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, through the sprinkling of the blood of Christ, that we may live in obedience to Him, which is what? Loving God with all of our mind, heart, soul, and strength, and loving each other at its core. We want to be obedient to Christ in loving. And we have a promised inheritance, a new hope today, so we can greatly rejoice. This is the salvation he's talking about. It's this, this is what he means when he says concerning this salvation. So he makes his point, and he's going to build everything that he, everything he's going to say now, the point he's going to make, and again, I think there's one singular point above all, uh, is based on this salvation that he's just explained. And he's showing us just how blessed we are today to live today, to be able to know what we know and experience what we experience. He's saying, do you, do you know how blessed you are? In verse 10, he says, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you. So this is talking about the Old Testament. And that's going from the books of Moses, the very beginning of the Bible, all the way through to the prophets, the major and minor prophets, all throughout the Old Testament, through the prophecies, the historical events, everything. We see all of these images and glimpses and prophecies about the grace that was to come through the promised Messiah. And that's what he's pointing to. In verse 10, and, or the second part of 10 and 11, it says they searched intently and with, great, and with the greatest care. So they're really looking for, when is this going to happen? What's going to happen? How is this going to work? There's something coming, something better than what we have now. Trying to find out, verse 11, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when He predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. And we looked at uh, two weeks ago how... There in Galatians, it says that when the appointed time came for Christ to come and suffer. So there was, there was an appointed time, and they could sense it. They didn't know when it was. They didn't know how it would happen. They didn't know all the details. They just had these little bits and pieces. But there was a set time, and remember we talked about there was a plan from the beginning always for Christ's work to happen from the very beginning, from the start. So knowing what we know, this is what he's trying to say to us, that knowing what we know now, it's easy. You can see it when you go through the Old Testament. You can see the promises given through the prophets about what Christ would do on the cross and in his resurrection. I thought about going through verses, but there are just mountains and mountains of them. Mountains of them. And I think you don't even have to look that hard. You can just casually browse through the Old Testament. And Christ is there. They eagerly, they, they sought carefully looking for it. And there are two points when it comes to the Old Testament promises about, or prophecies about the Messiah. And that is that he would suffer. I, if you read through the book of Isaiah, there is just... Most of the book has a lot of references either to his suffering or to the glorification that he would not just suffer, but that there would also be, he would also be glorified and that through him all would be blessed. And that goes all the way back to Abraham, right? The promise given to Abraham was what? 
You will, all nations will be blessed through you. And that goes to Christ. And that goes to us today. And he's saying there, this was always there. But what, I, I don't know if you guys noticed this. But who was it that revealed this truth to them? Who was it? The spirit of Christ. We can read over that and miss it. They were trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing. The Spirit of Christ which was in them was pointing. It was Christ there the whole time, building up the pieces, leading to the point of His coming. It was Jesus Himself that revealed to the prophets what He would do through the cross and his suffering and death and his resurrection, leading to his glorification and grace for us today. Jesus did not come into existence at his birth. It wasn't that he didn't exist and then he began to exist. He was always there. He was there before the foundation of the earth. John 1.1 1, 1. He was there as the world was being created, spoken into existence. He was there when Adam and Eve were in the garden and fell into sin, already knowing what the plan was. He was there when God made a covenant with Abraham and gave the promise that all nations would be blessed. And the beginning of a promised chosen people, which we see first, of course, with the Israelites, and then now through Christ, all those who believe. Jesus was there speaking through the prophets. Now, they, it wasn't just for, it says that they knew that they weren't serving themselves, but us today, but not just. I mean, there, there is context in the Old Testament. There are prophecies that applied to that time that also applied to Christ. But it was Jesus there speaking through them. The plan of Jesus' work on the cross for our salvation was always there because He was always there. And we today can see this clearly. Even though for thousands of years leading to Jesus, they only had bits and pieces. But we today can see clearly. We get to experience the work of the Holy Spirit in a way that they could not never have understood that we can pray and, and be led by the Spirit and how we pray and, and what to pray for. We can be transformed by the Spirit from within. We experience this when suddenly we don't want to waste time doing things that aren't important. We would rather spend time with God. That desire, that change, that's not you. You're not that good. That's the Holy Spirit. And they didn't have that like we do today, that we get to experience this. We get to know this and see clearly what the plan is. We can look back and see it and understand the work of the cross. We today should rejoice at what we get to experience on a daily basis by the saving grace we've received and the forgiveness of our sins through Christ our Savior. We get to live now. That's what he's saying. You get to live now. How great is that? We no longer see it in part. You should probably answer that. I, I'm sure it's important. We no longer see in part 
we can glimpse the full work of the cross. Because this is what we've been taught by the Holy Spirit. And that's what he's saying when he says in verse 12, so these are, these are the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. He's saying it's the same thing. It's the same truth. It was the same truth that, that was revealed to Isaiah that Christ would suffer, that, he would, that his stripes would be, he would be beaten, that he would be bruised for our transgressions. It was Isaiah, it was Christ that revealed that to Isaiah, and it was the Holy Spirit that revealed it to Peter and all of those who preached the gospel since. We know this truth today, and it's the same truth. It's the same work of God. It's the same plan transpiring. Jesus explains this also to the disciples in the... uh, I actually won't read it for time's sake, but in Luke 24, you can read it on your own time, uh, as Jesus, Jesus meets with them after he's resurrected, he meets with them on the street, and they're really, they're sad, they're feeling broken and, and defeated because Christ died on the cross, and they don't understand what's going on, they don't get it, and he walks with them and starts talking with them, and they don't even know it's Jesus, and then when they finally do, he Actually, I will read this part. He says, How foolish you are! How slow to believe! There's this thing, silent mode. I'm just kidding. Sorry. Um, (laughs) All right, it's keeping us on our toes, isn't it? We're all awake now. He says, How foolish are you that you don't get it? Don't you know that Everything in the Old Testament, everything leading up to this was talking about what I, that, that Christ, that the Messiah would have to suffer. You, you should know this. And then it says that he walked them through. He walked them through from the beginning to the end, all the way through the Old Testament and showing every place where he had revealed himself here a little there about what he would have to do. And we live in this time of revealed truth and that's something that should get us excited even the least who follow christ are blessed with a greater understanding than all those who came before even the least of those who follow him in matthew 11 11 i think we see this image and i think it's really the the turning point of this this is jesus talking about john the baptist truly i tell you among those born of women There has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet, whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And there's this kind of feeling that something has shifted. The the dynamic has shifted. So here you have this John the Baptist, this great man. He, He was a great prophet. He foretold that Christ would come. He knew he would come in his time. And he was ushering in the, the way of Christ. That's a, what a great honor. And yet Jesus says, yeah, yeah, he's, he, there's none greater than he of the prophets. But he's the last of that season. In the new season, in the new covenant, even the least are going to have a greater understanding than he did. And even at his death, he sent his disciples to Christ and said, are you the one or should we wait for another? So he didn't really quite get it fully. Not like we get it today. Not like we can understand it today. 
We can hold a Bible in our hands and see Christ's work from beginning to end. See God's plan and purpose for our salvation worked out to its fullest. That we can have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, teaching and molding us from the inside. We live in a great time. We can know the promises of Christ. We can know that, okay, He suffered. And He said we will suffer too. But He leads us not just in suffering, but through it to glory. We know the whole picture. Peter ends his point by saying that even the angels long to look on these things. It's a really interesting thing to throw in. And there are other passages in, I think, 1 Corinthians that also talks about the angels observe the ways or the kind of comings and goings. So there's this kind of image in other places in the Bible. But I think what he's trying to say is that they've seen God's plan unfolding since the beginning. And they eagerly anticipated the moment when Christ would come. When people could enter into a relationship with God completely free of their sin, completely free of their shame of their past, that they could boldly enter into the throne room of grace, enter into the presence of God in a way that no one had ever experienced up to that point. And they were excited, eagerly waiting, longing to look on these things and how they would unfold, how they would take place, how they would transpire. When I read that, I think that maybe sometimes the angels might be looking down on us with some disappointment thinking, don't you know what you know? Don't you understand? Aren't you aware of the value of the truth that you've been given? Prophets who devoted their lives completely to serving the Lord sought eagerly, carefully, trying to figure out the truth that we so freely have been given. Do you know? Do you fathom the depths of the truths of the knowledge of the work of Christ and of the Holy Spirit within you? Do you know how long that was in in process and that from the very beginning you were on his mind and in his heart? And I think some angels who have been watching us from the beginning would say, if you know this, why aren't you filled with joy? Why aren't you rejoicing? Why aren't you spreading this truth to people who don't know it yet? If you truly grasp what you know, something that's been sought after for tens of thousands of years, why aren't you more excited about it? And for this, I actually had a really great video that we can't play today because technical stuff. So I'm going to attempt to describe it to you probably poorly. So bear with me. And I know a lot of you will have seen these videos, and it's actually probably good because I tend to get emotional when I watch these. But there are these videos. If you don't know, there's like a, a company who created a type of glasses that allows you to see color if you're colorblind. 
can look those videos up, have some tissues by. They're quite moving. And there, there's something really powerful in seeing this that you can't see it. So you have to imagine with me. But there's these, these people have never seen color before. I always find the ones that are, that are really kind of hit me the most are, are like grown men in their like 50s and 60s, you know, like not people who seem very prone to become emotional. And they put these glasses on, never having seen certain colors before. There's different kinds of color blindness. But they had never seen certain colors before. And if you just remove one color from the palette, it takes away all these varieties of colors that use that color. And so even really bland things become much more vivid. And they put these glasses on, the one I wanted to show you, he puts these glasses on, and he had never seen his daughter's eye color before. And he just starts to weep. He'd never seen it before. It was right in front of him. And a lot of the videos, they always say something like, this is how you see all the time? You see like this all the time? It's so bright and vivid. That was pretty good acting. Thank you. You see like this all the time? And that's the image I want you guys to hold on to when we, as we close. Don't forget that for all of the time leading up to Christ, they saw in black and white. They had a bits and pieces of the story. They knew it was coming. They knew that there would be a time where the sacrifices end, ended. They knew there would be a time of... Of, of a work where Isaiah talks about that the, the law would no longer be this thing away, like distant from us that we read, but would be written directly on our hearts. That's the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. There were, this time was coming, but they didn't get the whole picture. And I think they look back, they look at us now today and say, you see like this all the time? You see this whole picture? You see it so vividly? Don't take it for granted. Don't lose sight of what you see, of what you know, of what's been revealed to you about who Christ is. Because there was a time when it wasn't so clear. It's a gift. And it's something that we should be moved by. I know that many of us, maybe some of you might be new Christians, some of you might have been Christians for a while, I've got a few years on my belt and I can look back at experiences where God revealed something to me and I began to understand the Bible better or understand a truth about him better and it was like, whoa, I can see. But then so quickly we just tend to forget how great that is. It just becomes normal. It just becomes normal life how we always see things. Be weary of that. Don't let the truth that's been told you, revealed to you, fall to the wayside or become a side note in your life or blend in with everything else in the world. This is and will always be the greatest truth ever revealed in history. Even the angels in heaven long to look in on these things. And it has been revealed to you 
freely through his word and through the Holy Spirit. Treasure that. I want to invite the band to come back up. As I mentioned at the beginning, today we're going to have communion. Communion, there's a lot to be said about communion, but I think communion at its core is a renewal of the covenant we have with Jesus Christ. It's a declaration that we belong to him and that we want to stay belonging to him, stay in communion and connection and unity with him. A declaration that we still live in the freedom we've been given, in the forgiveness of our sins, by the grace we've received through faith in him as our personal Lord and King. We're declaring that. It's an action of our faith, and it's important. And it also unites us together. That's why we do it the way we do. Um, well, there's some there already. There will also be some here in, in a moment. I'll invite you guys to, I would say, easiest kind of just split up, and some of you come this way, some of you come this way, and then we just want to come up here at the front, and we want to do communion together. We want to do it together. And so... I'll invite you guys in a moment to do that, but before we do, I always like to give just a minute or two for prayer, repentance. We know that we're forgiven, and we're, we can do this because we're forgiven, because of what Christ did on the cross. But we repent as a way of saying, Lord, I still need you. I haven't reached perfection. I haven't reached that point of doing everything perfect because I'm not with you in heaven yet. And so we want to lay the things that maybe we are struggling with this week, whether it's a sin, something you feel like, man, I, I, I messed up, I shouldn't have done that. I'm not living my life in a way that is glorifying to Him at my max. And I want to lay that at His feet. Or it might just be a struggle, a hard time in your life, a depression, a sorrow, a, a loneliness that you're feeling. You can also take that and just, Lord, I want to lay that at Your feet and as I am preparing to come and sit at Your table. I want to lay that at your feet first. And so that's what we're going to do right now. We'll take a couple minutes to do that, and then I'll invite you guys to come up to the front. Mm -hmm.